This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 156 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Well, it's official. Georgia State will miss out on a bowl game for the first time since before this podcast launched as they lost to James Madison last Saturday to fall to 4-7 and seven on the season. We'll discuss that loss in the now stakeless regular season finale at Marshall this Saturday. Also on the pod, the men's basketball team was a wacky buzzer beater loss on Friday away from a perfect weekend in the Capital Classic. We'll talk through their 2-1 weekend and their upcoming game with Belmont. But first, we got to talk about football. 42-40 to 40 loss to James Madison on Saturday. It was everything the Panthers could have asked for through two quarters, with two defensive touchdowns and a 75-yard Jamari Thrash touchdown right at the end of the half, giving them a 34-14 halftime lead. But things fell apart in the second half, and JMU scored 28 unanswered points to take the lead. Late in the game, Georgia State recovered a fourth fumble of the game and then found the end zone to make it a 42-40 game with 2.30 to go. However, they couldn't get the tying two-point conversion and failed to recover the onside kick that followed, and that ensured this Panthers team will be the first since the 2018 squad to miss a bowl game. So, gentlemen, lots to unpack in this James Madison game. What you got? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say in the sense of like, I saw it coming. I knew they were going to blow that lead because I think that it's a really reductive way to look at stuff. And if you're listening to this pod and you do that thing, just just remove that from your sports watching. It's going to make your life a lot less unhappy. Um, but I did have an inkling when it was 34-14, as good as the first half had been results-wise, that there was going to be some regression to the mean because Georgia State was up by 20 on the scoreboard, but they weren't 20 points better than James Madison's that first half. They got those defensive touchdowns. They got that big touchdown for Thrash right at the end of the half. And that did feel important. Like getting the momentum totally reset there did feel like, okay, this could be a situation where even if they find their way back into the game, you've built yourself a nice cushion. Um, but James Madison, James Madison scored right out of the break really quickly. Um, got a stop, scored again. And then right when Georgia State got their first first down of the third quarter. Darren Granger fumbles at the end of it. James Madison recovers it in plus territory. And then I think two plays later, 36-yard touchdown run to take the lead. And so regression to the mean, I think, was coming no matter what. The speed at which it happened and the way in which it happened wasn't necessarily. And so that's where, you know, things went badly for Georgia State. And they couldn't make James Madison work for it as much as they needed to. And they didn't get any real balls to bounce their way until that fumble at the end of the day. They made that count with a touchdown, but because they had uh, dug in into an eight-point deficit at that point, they needed the two-point conversion to go with it. They couldn't get it. And after the onside, which is pretty just an onside, didn't get recovered by Georgia State. That was sort of it. Like Even if they had gotten a stop, they would have had maybe 10 seconds with the ball with no timeouts after forcing a punt. So... When the onside didn't happen, that was pretty much taps. And then they got the first down anyway to make it totally done, and they were able to get it out. What a weird, weird game. Um, <laughs> you really just have to laugh, honestly. And I, I, I try not to say that in a condescending way because, you know what? At the, at the end of the first half, Georgia State was 20 points better than James Madison. They had... 40 
41-ish more yards than James Madison. James Madison had the ball for seven more minutes. You know, James Madison had four fumbles, lost three of them. Georgia State had no turnovers by that time. Um, they kicked two field goals, though. And, you know, it was just such a weird game. And Georgia State looked good at that point. Like, you know, I think it's objective to say that they looked good. They were able to get those two defensive touchdowns. You know, they were able to, you know, recover the fumble on the kickoff. Um, you know, and anytime you can score 34 points and a half, objectively, you're doing something right. Even if the other team is giving you those 34 points, you know, Georgia state took what James Madison was giving them. They found ways to both move the ball. They found ways to, you know, play relatively decent defense. I mean, you know, only two scores and, you know, forcing those fumbles and capitalizing on the ball being on the ground. Like that's good, but defense was even in the first half. Yeah, 14-14 game between the Georgia State defense and James Madison totally at halftime. And I think that's why the second half, the rails kind of just come, you know, the train coming off the rails is is just one of those things where I just have to laugh just because something and and it's it's not I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's a trend. It's not really a trend, but it's happened before this season. There are just teams that will go into the locker room playing a little bit worse or objectively worse than Georgia state will go into the locker room and then they will remember who they are. And James Madison did that. And, you know, you can see that in the yard disparity only in the third quarter. And like, it's funny to me, like, like this is why I think it's funny in like the sad way. Georgia state held the ball for seven minutes and 42 seconds in the third quarter. For those of you who can do math at home, that is more than half the quarter. James Madison had the ball for seven minutes and 18 seconds. James Madison had 167 more yards than Georgia State did in the third quarter. That's not the stat. The stat is just the number of plays to yards the Georgia State got, which was 14 plays for five yards. Which, again, for the math doers at home, that is less than a yard per play. Yeah, like like legitimately, James Madison just turned the Georgia State offense off, not stopped them, not was beating them, just turned it off. They Georgia State was not fielding an offense that entire 15 minute period. And like, that's your ball game. Like, yeah, you know what? Maybe we're talking about a different kind of wacky game. If Georgia State gets the two point conversion or the onside kick and, you know, blah, 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 blah. To me, that stuff is stuff at the margins. And, you know, we'll talk about, you know, the rest of that stuff a little bit later. It's been a struggle all season for stuff like that. But I mean, that 21 zero quarter that Georgia State gave up, that's where they let James Madison back in the game. That to me, is where the ball game is, regardless of what anybody did in the third, in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And I mean, it starts with, again, offensive line more healthy than they were in the last game. Uh, Cristobal didn't play still at left guard, but Broadway who had been hurt in the last game was able to play Glover who missed the last game was able to come back. Um, kind of looked like he spelled Broadway who continued to be nursing something. It didn't seem like either he or Glover were actually hundred percent in the game. and. James Madison's best unit, and it might be the best defensive line in the Sun Belt, is their defensive line. And that's what happened. Like, they worked stuff in the first half, I think, well on offense, where the Darren Granger touchdown run, they worked it to the outside on speed option that he just had a lane and bolted. And it was kind of the same lane when Thrash got his touchdown, where it was just 
on the far side of the field, they got him out in space and blockers held their blocks enough and he made, did the rest with his speed. And they tried more of that in the third quarter. They tried inside zone because they're always going to try and establish that inside zone. They tried rolling Darren out and James Madison had answers for all of it. And so I don't know what the answer would have been. I don't know if there was any magic antidote other than the protection holding up better because they were losing on first down. They were losing on second down. And then when it was third and long, James Madison could pin their ears back. No matter what the pass play was there, it wasn't going to be holding up. And that's why both of the first two drives in that second half ended in a sack. And then after you get something finally positive going on that third drive, that first down run that Darren got, he fumbles it. So actually a really nice play by the James Madison player very nearly was just down by contact. And who knows at that point what happens, but it just made it too easy for them there. And, you know, again, talking of making it too easy, the touchdown drive, the Georgia state got there at the end of the game might've been a game winning one or, you know, a go ahead one because James Madison was held to a field goal attempt early in the fourth quarter. They were up what 35, 34 at that point. And they were marching pretty well, but then, Defense put up the stop and it was a fourth and 10 from I think like the 30, something like just inside the 30. There's an offside on the field goal attempt. And so when it was fourth and five, James Madison's calculus changed. They're like, all right, we'll go for it. And on a completely free five yards that changed everything for James Madison, they got that fourth down conversion and got a touchdown there. And so another time where you just made it too easy and made it too hard on yourself where if everything else goes the way it did and all the changes that the James Madison is a field goal there instead of a touchdown, your touchdown gives you a 41 38 lead with two and a half minutes to go. And then, you know, you get one more stop. You can get out of there with a win that based on the play in the second half, you didn't necessarily, it would have been a nice lucky win the way that you would let the game completely flip, but you still take those. Uh, but because of that extra just mistake that got thrown in there along with the fumble, it was an eight point deficit and you had to go for two to even tie it. And you weren't able to be able to convert that. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's that type of stuff that has sunk Georgia state in addition to just general ineffectiveness, you know, like I, I don't even think that there's much to say about this game because of stuff like that. You know, like the team is talented. We know this, we know that this team is very talented, they are not talented enough to overcome some of the lapses that have happened to them. And it's it's frustrating because, you know, obviously they're, they still have a game next week, but it's like we said coming in, they're not going to go bowling. They're not, you know, this this next game that they are playing for doesn't mean anything, but it doesn't mean that there haven't been individual good spots to be found on the team, you know, Jamari Thrash had another really good game. And I think a lot of his total yardage is because of that one, the, the you know, the long touchdown. But if you look at the play, like it was a really good play, you know, he just got himself to the edge, just beat everybody that was in front of him. And he found the end zone. Like that's, that's what you want to see straight. You know, I think stretching the field can mean a variety of things. And that's another example of a guy who, you know, doesn't have to go, 10, 15, 25 yards down the field, but still can stretch the field. And, you know, it's unfortunate that nobody else in the passing game could really get going besides Shamari. It's unfortunate that, you know, 
Georgia State couldn't find the protection to, you know, get the offensive line able to pass block a little bit better, to run block a little bit better, to get some of the running backs going. And I'm sorry, but this is just not a team that can run a one-dimensional offense. We've seen it for the last two-ish weeks when Georgia State has had to pass. It's not, it's not to say that they can't pass, but when passing is their only option, teams have been able to stop it. Yeah, and especially a defense like this that just eats up front. Like the strongest, like I said, the strongest unit on their team probably is that defensive line, and they just went to work and took over that game and erased what had been a, a comfortable leave that maybe you're able to nurse all the way to the end, but because of how it transpired in the third quarter, it turned back into a salvage mission when it should have been, just, you're fine, just keep up a score, add on points, get to the end zone. But it was pretty clear in the second half that it was going to take something to flip. And you got that fumble that gave you that chance late in the game, but it wasn't enough. And, you know, I think on balance, the way that the game ended and just when you look at the final stats, like I don't think it's an unfair result, but Georgia State still had a chance to win in spite of it and weren't able to. And, you know, just honestly, the other thing that just is lording over this for me is just, it goes back to the thing we've been talking about basically since these games happened is that I'm not even really like, this was a road game against a team that if they win this weekend would be first in the Sun Belt East. I mean, they wouldn't go to the title game, but they're a good team. It's on the road. You know, they were over touchdown favorites for a reason. It goes back to that Charlotte and the OLM game. Because if you just win those two at home that you should, they'd have been six and five after this. And it'd be like, well, darn, they didn't get one over James Madison. Probably would have had an impact on the Sun Belt East standings because I think without at least one of those losses in conference, they'd still be alive for that. Um, didn't matter. Um, you, know, you lost those other games. And it just goes back to just the Charlotte game and then the ULL game, the ULM game just couldn't happen and the reason it couldn't happen is because you had other really tough games like this on your schedule and these were two home games against teams you were heavy favorites against and that's where the season flip is just not being able to take care of what you needed to and it's been the thing that in every one of the bowl seasons that Georgia State's had that's what they've done you know obviously we've spent a lot of time talking about struggles with teams like App State and the, the top of the conference but the reason that Georgia State went to bowl games in the years that they did is because they didn't really slip up against anyone they shouldn't have in those years. And they did in two instances this year, and it's going to cost them going to a bowl game. And it's unfortunate because I think specifically after the Charlotte game, you know, we talked about how no game is guaranteed, how Georgia State has all the talent, but at the same time, that they still need to put the zeros on the board with the lead. And they didn't do that against ULM. And it was one of those things where we came back the next week and it's like, hey, you made it really hard for yourself. It's certainly possible to keep up the bowl streak now, but you're going to have to not do what you just did. And, I mean, James Madison is a good team. They're a better team than the Warhawks are, but it's a lot harder to play the same style against James Madison as they did against ULM and Georgia State kind of did that. And next up, the last game of the season at Marshall, Saturday at noon on ESPN Plus. The Thundering Herd are coming off of a 23 to 10 win over Georgia Southern that moved them to 7 and 4 on the season and bull eligibility and are winners of 4 of their last 5 games. 
They're led at the top by head coach Charles Huff, who is 14-10 and 10 in his one season plus 11 games in Huntington. Florida State transfer Kalen Laybourne is both Marshall and the Sunbelt Conference's leading rusher with 1,323 rushing yards and 14 touchdowns. Additionally, the Herd got back their 2021 leading rusher, Rasheen Ali, in the win over Southern last Saturday after he had missed all of 2022 to that point. Georgia State and Marshall have not met on the football field until this game will be their first meeting. Gentlemen, thoughts on the Thundering Herd? This is where we're at this crossroads as a Thursday night podcast where we've never talked about a game where there's nothing to play for. Because even in basketball, the season always ends on elimination games. And this is the first football game we've discussed where Georgia State could not go to a bowl game, weren't playing in a bowl game at the end of the year. And so it's definitely a strange place to be at. Um, If you're looking for reasons to have any kind of optimism after what's been a disappointing season, a win here would do a lot of good and just continuing to go out there and play hard because I do think they played hard in the James Madison game. I don't think it was for a lack of effort that things went South in the second quarter or in the second half. And, you know, the, the hallmark of like when it really looks like things are not going well under a coaching staff is when you don't, the team doesn't come out and perform in a game like this, you know, they'd have every reason to go out and just get absolutely handled by Marshall. And that would be a real disappointing way to end the season. They can go on the road for a game. They don't have anything they can play for except pride in this. And they go and put on a performance. It doesn't change that it's a five and seven season that should have been a lot better. And that is going to be a lot of disappointment going into the off season, but it at least makes you not worry about that part of it. The, The team is still locked in on what the coaches are saying and that they're able to get them to get ready for games. And then on the other side, I mean, Marshall's kind of on a roll. They're playing the best football they've played this season, winning four of five, really have got their defense they're leaning on in the run game. And they've got a freshman quarterback, Fancher, who has been getting comfortable finally after getting kind of put into the role in the middle of the year. Uh, but they're bowl eligible now. And so it's for you know, them winning a game, getting to eight wins. Like I think it, it's not to say that they aren't playing for anything, but it's a situation where it's not like you're facing a team that is, they need to win to go to a bowl game. They're set. So maybe that plays your way in the motivation game. And if you can get up for this game, maybe, you know, that's at your disposal, but obviously a team that's already won seven games when you've only won four, you can't take anything like that as like, Oh, well they got this in the bag then. Yeah, no, they Marshall absolutely has stuff to play for. I mean, Switching conferences, especially a conference like the Sun Belt, and being a newcomer in this vaunted East division, if Marshall goes out and has a nine-win season, you know, including the bowl, that looks good for them. That feels good for them as well. Like that, that turns some heads. They're going to finish. They're most likely to finish ahead of App State, Georgia Southern, Georgia State. Like that. That's good for them. If you're coming into this game, you would much rather be Marshall than Georgia State. That's just the unfortunate reality. Um, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's very weird that Georgia State has nothing to play for because there's always been something to play for. Um, and even if they're playing for personal pride, being 4-4 four and four in conference play, that matters. I can't say that that's the you know best draw to them getting you know getting up to play on saturday yeah, but it's something it's that something. should matter to them i guess not necessarily a selling point for you listening to be like oh yeah four and four conference play tuning in to make sure that happens like 
that doesn't it sounds very esoteric against just the idea of like going to a bowl game or like anything that like is tangibly good instead of just like not being under 500 in conference play right you know and no i i can't even say that marshall and georgia state line up well because i think marshall marshall's the second best rushing offense in the Sun Belt. they're a healthy chunk under georgia state but the chunk is still there um you know, in the in- introductory piece, Jordan mentioned Laybourne, and he's really good. Um, I feel like every week he's destroying teams, but I also know that Marshall's not a team with this with the most prolific offense. So, you know, if Georgia State does want to pray to the special teams gods again, and you know, pray to the defense gods that it's there's one more game and they they're going to get some action and find a way to keep a team from scoring 30 points. I think Georgia state has at least a chance, you know, I mean, they've been stymied the second halves the last two weeks by defenses that have just kind of keyed in on the run. So, you know, maybe Georgia state needs that one final push to really solidify their status as the best rushing team in the Sun Belt this year. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing for me is like, they were able to hit on some big plays in the James Madison game to kind of disguise the fact that they weren't down to down doing particularly much on offense. And they were able to pass for a lot against ULM. And that kind of hit the fact that the rushing game was not nearly as good as it needed to be. And that ended up cropping up in some of the key situations where you needed it to be better in this game. I think it'll be kind of like either of those results, more likely the James Madison one, where if the running game isn't getting going, I mean, and it's a really good Marshall defense, then that's just going to be, it's going to make it really hard. It's going to make it. So Georgia State's defense is going to have to hold Marshall under 20 points, like have to, to win the game. And, you know, Marshall's probably more than comfortable to play that type of style. I don't think they're going to be looking to go up tempo, push up, score 40. I think they're going to lean on the run game. They're going to take their shots in the passing game. Uh, Not too dissimilar to Georgia State's style of going so heavy on the run and then looking for the stuff downfield when it comes in the passing game. I mean, Fancher will slang it for sure down the field. Um, So you're kind of playing into the style of Marshall, uh, which is dangerous because that's the style where they've been winning games that way. But I think it's going to kind of be Georgia State's formula to winning this game also. So it's going to have to be beating them at their own game a little bit on the road because but you know that starts with the running game has to get better and you know the offensive line has been a little banged up um for whatever it is worth coach Elliott said everyone with the exception of Jamias Williams who's out for the year should be back was his expectation on Monday for this game and so maybe it's as healthy of a picture as you've had and so maybe you have everyone back on the the offensive line the last week where they were actually really blocking well and opening up the run game against Southern Miss. And so maybe that opens something up, but you know, if that isn't getting going and the run game is kind of what it was for the majority of last week, without the special teams luck that you spoke of, or without the two defensive touchdowns, it could play out a very similar way, which, you know, without those points, that would have been kind of an ugly game for Georgia state. And so that is the danger. And so that's why, you know, you're going to have to, like David said, cement your status as the top rushing offense come what may in the Sun Belt and establish something there because, you know, things can go sideways if that isn't going to be happening. Here's a fun random stat. 
Georgia State has three losses when they've gotten multiple turnovers this year. So I guess the sweet spot is to just get one turnover this game and make well, it count. I, I didn't mention this when we were talking about James Madison, but I did want to mention it is that for all the talk about you know, mistakes and missed opportunities, whatever the season, and there's a fair amount of that to go around. They did put up points with all four of the fumbles they recovered, which and three of them were touchdown drives, which it's like, it wasn't so much that they didn't do anything with the opportunities they got in James U game. They did just about everything they could with the exception of settling for the field goal on the one where they started on the five yard line. Um, so, cause in the other games, that was the problem where they got those multiple turnovers and didn't do much with them. But the JMU game was different where they actually kind of did just about everything they could expect from four turnovers and they couldn't make it stick because of other things. But you know, certainly if they're going to get back into that game, if they can get that going where the defenses make those impact plays, I think it obviously would have a positive impact on this game as well. And maybe you don't lose two in a row where you have that type of turnover um, success. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say, which we talked about a little bit, just with how he had a good game on last Saturday, Jamari Thrash is four yards behind ODU's Ollie Jennings for the lead in the Sun Belt in receiving yards which Ollie Jennings has been hurt the last couple of weeks. He's not going to play. Um, James Madison only played 11 games and Chris Thornton. Their wide receiver is the guy who's currently in third place. And so I guess you could say there's a little bit of an asterisk. I think if you look at like the receiving yards per game, if you sort it by that way, Jamari wouldn't necessarily have the lead in that category as well, but it would still be the first Georgia state receiver to lead the Sunbelt in receiving since Penny Hart in 2017. And it would be a nice way to cap off that Jamari's had a really solid year. You know, we were unsure with losing Cornelius McCoy and Sam Pinckney, who is going to step up and be that type of wide receiver one. And while you had good contributions when he was healthy from Robert Lewis and Jakaius Cradle has been a good reliable option as well. Clearly Jamari has filled that void. And if he gets to finish that off by leading the conference in receiving yards, getting first or second team all Sunbelt notice for it. Absolutely something you can take away from this season as a fan, that you can see this guy getting accolades for a really nice season. All right, let's go ahead and shift gears, talk about basketball, because we have a lot of basketball to discuss. Uh, Georgia State hosted the Capital Classic at the brand new Convocation Center this past weekend. It was a two and one weekend for the Panthers with a 62 to 61 loss to Eastern Kentucky to open the weekend on Friday, a 57 to 53 win over Texas A&M Commerce on Saturday and a 74 68 win against UNC Asheville to close out the event on Sunday afternoon. Duan Odom was named most outstanding player of the tournament with an average of 21 points per game and seven rebounds per game in the three games. So uh, gentlemen, lots to discuss in these three games and a couple of uh, interesting things to note. So I'm interested to hear what you got to say. Yeah, we absolutely buried the lead on the Friday result um, because obviously I'm sure everyone was watching it. Uh, George State loses on a buzzer beater by Carter Robb at the, you know, Odom misses the front end of a one and one he gets the rebound, uh, Rob does, takes it near half court and just throws up a prayer that falls and really brutal loss was the sports center number one play. Um, got a lot of social media attention for it because everyone loves buzzer beaters and everyone does love buzzer beaters until it happens to you. And then it's like, make that clip go away, please. Uh, but we can circle back and talk about that sequence for sure. The other thing I wanted to say though, is that 
they won the next two games, which was going to be important enough just to reset everything after a tough first loss. That was an encouraging sign. But not only did they win the next two games, but after real mistakes that led to that buzzer beater factoring in the result, they were really good in crunch time, especially the free throw line in the next two games. And so without Brendan Tucker and Evan Johnson for a lot of the weekend, having really one guy in Dewan Odom that you were really running the offense through, you managed the situation that cost you in the Friday game and Saturday and Sunday, won those games. And so that's an encouraging thing for me, just that they were able to immediately learn from what happened in that game. It wasn't some situation that was going to beat them more than once. And, you know, Eastern Kentucky lost to uh, Texas A&M Commerce in the finale on Sunday. So I'm sure if there was a trophy, which I I still didn't really see if there's a trophy or what the deal was there that they would have won on the tie break, but you still had tied for the best record of the weekend at two and one. It was honestly crazy because all three of the games felt the exact same. And, you know, I remember watching the game on Sunday and I was like, okay, it says UNC Asheville, but like this, this feels like the other two games that we just watched. And you're absolutely right. The situation that Georgia State put themselves in on Friday, they didn't do. And it turned out that those were the two games that they won. And I I say that because I think it's an encouraging thing. You know, I'm just going to start and say it. The way that Dwan Odom is playing right now, he's a guy and a half. Like, I know that during the the exhibition and, you know, he was kind of slow coming along this year. Slow, sort of. I'm sorry. He has looked like a superstar the last couple of games. And, like, his ability to take over a game, especially late. The funny thing about the game on Friday was that was – his he had one free throw he shot one free throw the whole game missed it it led to the buzzer beater on sports center on saturday eight for eight from the line on sunday seven for seven from the line the mercer game 11 for 12 from the line yeah you're you're jumping on what i was going to mention he only missed one (laughs) other free throw the entire season even dating back to the coastal georgia like all of the games he only missed one other it was just the one free throw that you couldn't miss leading to the play that in all statistical likelihood isn't going to lead to a made basket, but it did in that instance. And I think that is both the funny thing and the thing that I'm most impressed about by his game, because he is not the guy who has his 27 points, but he is scoring from the opening tip. No, he is working his way into the game, getting into the flow, letting his teammates kind of get involved. And, you know, hats off to Georgia State. They were missing two starters. Brennan Tucker, Evan Johnson did not play in either of the Saturday or Sunday game. And I thought that they managed it as well as they could given the circumstances. Because finding room for... 10, 11 guys to play on a college basketball team, that's hard, obviously. Number two, finding room for those guys to play and be competitive, that's even harder. You know, you got to give a shout out to Kalik Brooks. He had 12 in that Sunday game. You know, Danny Stubbs gave you 16 off the bench on Sunday. And it just, you, you're, you're seeing this Georgia State team Put it together. It's scrappy. It's not pretty. And I'll be honest, it's not. It's not pretty. I don't think 
the final score of the UNC Asheville game was a six point win. I don't think that I would call that a pretty six point win, you know, but it's, they're doing enough. They're doing things that, you know, you want to see teams doing whether or not that they're hitting a a billion shots. They went 16 of 17 from the line on Sunday. You take that, you take that any day of the week, you know, like that's what you want to see. The three point shooting, I still think it'll come. I think especially specifically with Johnson and Tucker out, that took a lot of the the potential for the three-point shooting. The, you know, those two guys are the guys you, you think are going to be shooting a lot of threes. So it wasn't really there this whole weekend. That's okay. I still think that'll come along. But really hats off to them. I think they, they're starting to play very well. Well, I'd say the guy we didn't talk about is like perimeter threat was Kalik. And I mean, that is great form. Like it's no surprise. All those were going in. And I think we found out that he can be more than just a guy who comes in and plays with some effort on defense, which he also has been doing. He can be a spot up shooter. He's going to set his feet. And if you leave him in the corner, he'll hit a shot. And Danny Stubbs, I think has really started to find his shot as well. And he's another one where he looks good out of his hand and he's getting to where plays are getting run, where he is setting up mostly you're like the top of the key. and getting left and he's pulling it and he started making them. He had two of five in the game against UNC Asheville with the exception of the Mercer game, which Mercer's probably the best offensive team by a good bit. that Georgia state's played so far this season. The game has been played on Georgia state's terms. You know, other teams haven't been able to run up and down the court on them and really run their offense as they want to. And so I think it is going to be the domain in which this team is going to live and what's going to lift it is going to be, that you start winning games in the double digits and you know piling on when you're starting to make some more shots but i think it's games going to be you know, games are going to be like they have been because it's not a team that's been prolific scoring yet but if and when that comes they know what they want to be defensively and they've brought that in immediately which is definitely impressive because that's the sometimes the hardest thing to translate and especially with new ideas and a new coaching staff coming in. Um, definitely love what I've seen defensively, just energy wise. And that's something that's going to carry into conference play because James Madison looks really good offensively in the early going. And there's a few other teams, Louisiana's the same way. They've got some really talented players, but the Sunbelt doesn't have that many teams that are so offensively driven. They're going to be able to do what they want. And so as we turn the page on non-conference in the next month or so and turns into conference play, sure, you might see some games that play out a lot the same way that they have now, but if that offense starts getting going, you could start seeing some more comfortable games. And there's another part of it that I think is important is that the free throw shooting has been really good. I don't know that it's going to be sustainably. The team is shooting collectively 78%, although the, uh, First RJ team that almost made the tournament was about there as a team. So it's not like it's an unrealistic number at all. But I think it's important that they keep getting to the line because they are still going through these pretty long scoring droughts or droughts from the floor, made field goal droughts. And I think some of that they've still got to work through. Maybe as they get Tucker and Johnson back, some of that starts to go away as everyone gets a rhythm going. But they were able to stem it in some of these wins they've had. They did it in the Mercer game. They did it in the second two games this weekend uh, where 
in some of those lulls, they were still getting to the line and drawing fouls. And there were other sequences in some of the losses and even in some of the wins this weekend, other parts of the games where they were not getting fouled on drives, nor were the shots going in, and that was leading to the droughts. And so I think it's a team that as long as they can find a way to draw contact, and if that's what their offense is for a two-minute stretch here or there, they've got a, got a lot of people who can make foul shots. And that's going to be the easiest antidote until the shooting catches all the way back up. And I think the shooting will catch up. I mean, there's, I can't remember many shots where it's just a guy with hilariously awful form and a, like, no one has a, no, don't take that shot. DeWan owed him a little bit, but okay. here's, here's what I'll say about DeWan. For as little of, like, I'm sure the scout on him is, don't go out on him when he's shooting. And he still gets a step on basically everyone who's supposed to be guarding him. So it is impressive to me watching him that knowing that he's basically a non-factor on the outside and he's shown he'll take them if they're going to give him the entire court. And I think it'd be, if he can find a way to start making more of those, that would unlock just a whole nother level of the offense. But it is impressive watching him knowing that teams aren't really factoring him as a perimeter guy, that he's still just beating guys on the drive. It just speaks to the level of talent that he's got and willingness to just drive in and feel like he's going to beat anyone he's going up against. And so, you know, I, I make light of the fact that he's not necessarily that much of a threat from outside, but it makes what he has been doing all the more impressive to me. Yeah. And I mean, if he develops an outside shot and continues the other stuff, I mean, talk about the easiest Sunbelt player of the year candidate of all time. Like, like, even like, like the mid-range he's been, yeah, even he if has like, been not that even good. the three point shooting stuff, but there's a couple of times where he's been left open when he's left it off to when he's given, gotten a pass down low to like Jaheim or Big Ed, and they've gone down to double that guy in the post. And he's gotten the ball back on a quick pass back. If he can even get that mid-range going there, that's going to be some extra points to stack into the uh, points per game average. Uh, the, the other thing is, you know, as we're praising him, I think we did see over the course of three games in three days, and it's not a situation you're going to see again until Pensacola. There were times where relying on him to be the offense led to him wearing down some. And so this is something that's maybe going to be better if and when you get Tucker and Johnson back, and hopefully that's soon, where he can't be the guy for 40 minutes. Like There are going to have to be times where either he's off the court or he's on the court, but he isn't doing everything. Because I think you saw what happens when he has to be on all the time. Just little things pile up because of fatigue, and it's not a thing on a knock on him. It's more about that other guys are going to have to fill that void from time to time while we recognize fully that he's going to run the train and it's going to be Dewan Odom's offense. And I think that you're in a good spot with that. I just think you got to find times where he can take a beat because you're going to see some sloppy turnovers pile up if you're having the same guy be have to be so locked in the entire time. And that would certainly work against the good work they did in playing late game situations better in the last two games this weekend. Yeah, th- that is definitely something that I also noticed. Um, I'm not necessarily concerned about it only because there's only two players on Georgia state who have played 30 or more minutes. One of them is Evan Johnson and the other is Dewan. I think 
I think there will be some time later on in the season, both out of conference and as we get into Sunbelt play, where his Dwan's minutes will kind of come down a little bit to match what a normal conference schedule will look like. And then they'll come back to this height in the Sunbelt tournament. But that is definitely something to watch going forward because I I think it was the tech game. Uh, I was watching uh, in the stat broadcast and I was like, I feel like Dwan hasn't sat at all. I don't remember him being taken out. And then he got taken out like at the very end of the game to then come right back pretty much. So I think that's going to be the case. I think you're going to find they're going to use as much as he can. But that's why I think even when he's on the court, if you can find ways to make him less of the focal point for just a second. And I think you're going to do the thing with him probably where you sneak him out right before media timeout. So he gets an extra 20 seconds of rest and then the media timeout and comes back in. I think. You're going to see some of that for sure in the sub packaging. I'm just interested to see once everyone can really kind of get back in because Tucker, you know, bless him, hasn't really been allowed because of the situations to get any kind of rhythm going because he got hurt really early in the tech game, came back in really late in that one, but couldn't really get into the flow of things. And he gets hurt right at the beginning of this weekend too. I just feel like he's not had any time to get any rhythm going especially at the offensive side of the court. And so, like, can we stop with these random, like, like head injuries and just weird sports injuries that aren't, like, for any real reason except just, like, the way that people are, like, randomly crashing into each other in, in the middle of a play? Like, it felt a little bit stacked against Georgia State just in the sports god sense where it's just, like, there's a lot of random injuries piling up already. And it's... Just it's got to stop at some point, right? Just just play basketball. That's all we're asking. All right, and one more uh, item of business to discuss as far as basketball is concerned. The next game versus Belmont on Sunday afternoon. It's another home game at the Convocation Center, tipping off at 2 p.m. Eastern. The Bruins are three and three on the season, coming off back-to-back wins over George Mason and Howard in an MTE of their own in the Virgin Islands. So, gentlemen, thoughts on Belmont? So what I said about how Mercer had been the best offensive team you played so far, and they were the ones that were able to kind of play their offense. Belmont's another team that has the style on offense and is a good offensive team. They're in the top 100 in offensive efficiency on KenPom.com. And they also are in the top 70 in adjusted tempo where, you know, Georgia state's in the bottom, like 20 in the, no, sorry, in the top the bottom, like 50 in tempo, but clash of styles in the extremists and it's a i mean it's not the same coach as what they've had you know rick bird was the longtime belmont coach who really had them humming over the years where if you look over their years they've been naturally in the top five in two point made you know two point field goal percentage more times than they haven't been in the last two decades it's a team that knows what they want to do offensively they recruit really smart players that value their shots And so this is going to be a test for what's been the strength of this Georgia State team, namely that defense and asserting their style. And so this is a game that as soon as it got put on the schedule, I was really happy to see this home and home. And it'll be exciting to see that return trip to Nashville next year. And I'm just interested to see how this goes. It's not necessarily like the peak Belmont that we've seen in past years where they were an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. But it's going to be a good team and a good offense, and it's going to be a good test. And 
you know, you got seven days off this time instead of playing back to back to back. So hopefully the most rested they've been since the Mercer game. Yeah, the, you know, the three-point defending is going to be huge. That's, I mean, Belmont's got three really good three-point shooters. You know, I mean, we could start with Cade Tyson. He's good. We could do Drew Freiberg, also good. You know, and these are guys who are shooting in the 40s. And I, I'm talking about guys who have taken, you know, 20-plus attempts already on the season. Like, these are guys who they, they'll pull the trigger. They will pull it, and they will make it. So Georgia State's going to have to find a way to defend the perimeter and i think they've done a good job of that you know i think georgia state if there is an area for them to struggle it's defending deep into the shot clock you know they'll defend kind of that initial action and then you know teams will kind of scramble and still be able to put up points and some of some of that is luck like i I don't want to sit here and say that some of that is just guys being out of position because it's not true um but georgia state is going to need to keep finding ways to defend to the end of the shot clock. And, you know, a guy like Ben Shepard, he he might not be as good at shooting threes as, you know, the rest of Belmont's, but he's got 21 points a game. So that's, that matters. You you know, you got to defend everybody. And I think Georgia state is up for the challenge. You know, this is to date. um, I would, I would call this Georgia state's hardest game that they've played. You know, I think you could kind of, Give or take some of the Ken Palm numbers between Georgia Tech and Belmont, they're like really close to each other. I think they're like 10 off. Um, but, you know, Georgia State is still kind of chilling in the 220s and the, you know, mid twos ish area. So I think that's still a significant challenge for Georgia State. And I don't know, I, I think a win, especially if Georgia State plays how they've played recently, a win here would be really good, especially over a Belmont team. Whether you're at home or on the road, it's always nice to get good wins against good teams. So, yeah, I think, and some of this is, again, maybe it's better if uh, Tucker and Evan Johnson are back. The turnovers have been a little bit too much on offense, and you've been forcing a lot of non steal turnovers. Uh, Georgia State is 53rd in the country well above average in non-steel turnover percentage, but actually below average in just steel percentages. And I think the worry there is a lot of that would be noise if the ones that you aren't forcing steals on. But I actually think Georgia State is doing a lot of the work there to force the just the unforced turnovers. There are some turnovers in the Mercer game where there were just passes going out of bounds because it was either a cross-court pass or the defensive pressure. It was making a bad decision happen. But... I think you want to see some more steals start to go on the defensive end because like you're talking about with defending the entire 30 seconds, the easiest way to not have to defend the entire 30 seconds is getting the basketball before they get a shot off. Um, And it's something that we've seen, whether it was Ron Hunter's teams or Rob Lanier's teams, this has been a prolific steal team with the different defensive styles that they've played over the years. And I think that the way that Jonas wants to play defensively could also lead to that same result. It just hasn't been happening so far. And it'll be an important thing for a team that, you know, they're a crisp offensive team, but they're still going fast. And so if things are going fast, better chance for maybe some chaos getting forced, getting a hand in there, catching them playing a little too fast, get a little steal, start a fast break. Um, That's where I'm looking. As far as 
a good defensive effort so far in 2022, that's where I think it could get better. And that's where you could start seeing where even if the offense isn't organically catching up, if you're forcing some easy fast breaks, that's an easy way to get some easy buckets. And of course, before we get you out of here this week, we do have just a few sports bits, nothing too crazy. We've talked about most of it, but I did want to let you guys know women's basketball is continuing in the Hampton Inn, Cleveland downtown Viking Invitational against St. Bonaventure on Friday at 7 p.m. And they're also playing Bellarmine, that same event on Saturday at 1 p.m. And then on Wednesday, they play Chattanooga in the Convocation Center at 6.30 p.m. Uh, we've discussed football, of course, final game of the season at Marshall in Huntington, West Virginia, noon kickoff on a Saturday on ESPN Plus, WRAS FM 88.5. I believe we'll be on a tape delay for that, but you can listen live on the Georgia State app and Low Country Radio as well. And then, of course, the men playing Belmont in the Convocation Center at 2 p.m. on Sunday. But that's all that's going on in Georgia State Athletics this week. Uh, happy Thanksgiving from all of us to all of you. We're thankful for you guys who listen to us every single week, or if this is your first time, thank you as well. We really appreciate getting to talk about Georgia State with everybody, and we hope you and yours have a fantastic holiday. And after you spend some time with family, friends, or whatever your plans are for Thanksgiving, hope you will check out what the Panthers have going on this upcoming week. We'll be providing coverage of football on Saturday and then the men's basketball game on Sunday afternoon. But until next time, have a fantastic week. Happy Thanksgiving again, and We'll see you next time. Go Panthers.